What is up, everybody? It is Thursday night. Grab yourself something cold to drink out of that old Ryan cooler. Kick your feet up. It's time for a new episode of Jackson Kayak Doc Talk. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? It's Doc Talk Night. We've got a new panel, new questions, new answers. We're ready to go. I almost played the wrong intro video if you guys are watching it live and caught it. <laughs> I about played the Jameson Redding wetness video that uh, that we had on the uh, marketing meeting Doc Talk thing that we did the, uh, a few weeks ago. So, yeah, you guys were about in for a treat. I'll have to delete that one off my... Uh, clipboard here but uh there he is mr joey welcome to the house howdy howdy so uh we're going to kind of go around the room i want you guys to introduce yourselves tell everybody what you're paddling pedaling fishing out of for 2023 um and where you hail from so we'll start with me yak bassin yeah my name is uh chris pendergast um i live in maine I fish currently out of a Jackson Big Rig, um, but that's uh, probably going to change next season. I'm currently fishing in an elite kayak fishing trail, uh, the EKF here in the Northeast, and uh, some local stuff in uh, Massachusetts and Maine as well. Moving on down to the one double digit angler. Hey, how's it going, guys? I'm out in the West Coast right now. I'm fishing out of the Take Two custom rigged and right now fishing slay nation toc coming up that's 10 28 i believe um so looking forward to that and i'll be fishing the bass factory mr joey well mr tennessee and you i'm i'm uh i'm fishing out of a ancient big rig and i love it it's a seven-year-old big rig and it's a testament to how they build the boats and uh I don't do tournaments. I did in my early life and kind of decided that wasn't for me. You know, I want to compete against the fish and it's, I don't have anything against anybody else fishing tournaments. It's just that I go out there and want to figure things out. Uh, I'd say low tech, but it's no tech. I, I go out there and read the natural science and I, I've caught a fish or two over the years. Just a couple, just a couple. So guys, tonight we're going to start off with a little bit of something different. I want to throw something at you, and it kind of come up in our podcast uh, on Tuesday night. I want to talk a little bit tonight about the kayak fishing culture. What is the kayak fishing culture to you, and, uh, you know, how do you view it? Whoever well, wants to go first. Uh, okay, I will. Uh, when I started kayak fishing 10 years ago, I came right out of a flat-bottom boat. 
So it wasn't like a gigantic jump for me to think that I was going to fish out of a small boat and not necessarily small waters. And then I honed some skills uh, guiding kayak trips or canoe trips, excuse me, in Canada for 27 summers. So you kind of learn that if you move too fast, you get a bath, but uh, really uh, a great experience. The kayak thing, because again, I, I, I'm not saying everybody doesn't have a right to do it their own way, but for me, it's, I want to fool that fish. I want to do some things that probably nobody else is doing. And it's, it's yielded several really big fish for me. And I take a lot of satisfaction out of the fact that I can go someplace I've never been before and kind of just kind of look at the topography, look at the water weeds and look a few things. And then I've, I've rigged up with probably four, maybe sometimes five rods and two 3,600 planos sitting side by side in my seat. So I like going out there bare bones and seeing what I can do. Yeah, to piggyback off of that, I feel like the culture is, is a society of blue collar workers that can't, you know, some may have a bass boat, you know, there, there, there are bass boat guys, bass boat elite guys getting into kayaks. You know, there's, there's people that are sponsored by Hobie eyewear and et cetera. And they've introduced kayaks into their vlogs on YouTube and et cetera to kind of like enter that market. But I feel like the society for in kayak, the culture is for that like blue collar worker that you know can't can't get eighty thousand ten a uh, hundred thousand plus full electronics with thirty thousand sixteen inch screens on their boat blah, blah blah, and it's more for I think recreational side. It's allows allows bank anglers that are always looking to like break a PB to actually hop on a kayak and cover water more efficiently. I think that is definitely like one of the cultures of kayak fishing is is just getting out there in in whatever means in, in trying to approach the bass or a different species in a different way yeah i, I agree um with both of you what you guys say and i i do it really to basically get out there anytime i can anytime i want i can just come home slide the kayak in the back of the truck or if i want to bring it out on my trailer i could do as well get out there i i enjoy everybody I, I fish with um and i you know i can go out on the water with anybody i want to go out with um and we can go do our separate thing i can go learn a new thing i can go anywhere i want we don't necessarily have to stay together but you know i fish with a great group of guys um i enjoy fishing with every one of them and really i probably do tournaments more to hang out with my friends that are living all the other different states that I go to than I do to actually compete sometimes. So, well, and you know, you bring up a point for, for me, one of the things is it's not like I think I'm some special character, but I don't fish with a lot of people because I have a certain plan that I want to do. And it sounds selfish, but you know, I'll be 73 in four months. I'm going to fish the way I want to fish and go where I want to go. But the other thing is that I really enjoy about kayak fishing is I'm not, and we're not doing anything that somebody else can't do. Because if you want to buy a used kayak and put 500 bucks into it and go no electronics, you can go the same places and do the same thing I'm doing. And I've always said, I know people will see the TV and the radio and this, that, and the other, the blog posts. I try to do 24, 36 blog posts a year, but I'm the guy next door. I, I'm not doing anything that somebody else can't do. And I like that. I like the idea that I can look at a 12 or 14 year old kid and saying, 
let me tell you how to do that. Matter of fact, I'm doing that Saturday. I've got a, a chance to appear and do a personal appearance where I'm going to sell some books, but I'm also going to uh, counsel some new kayakers. So I'm going to, I'm going to have fun doing that. Yeah. Right on. I, I believe the same thing. It's like anybody could get on the water now and cover water and you don't have to be anybody special. You don't have to, you don't have to be part of a rich family to, to fish on, on a platform anymore. You could actually go out there and have just as much fun um, as being on a bass boat. Uh, it's, it's the same, same deal. And it's, it's super affordable, super affordable. Well, Chad's probably heard time. me say this before, but one of the things that I've always believed is that's why there's chocolate and vanilla ice cream because everybody likes something different. So do what you like. If you're not, I, I still say one of the hallmarks of my presentations is if you're fishing and you're not having fun, you're doing it wrong. So, you know, pick what you like to do. And I, I wouldn't advocate topwater fishing in January unless you live on the on the, the left coast, but and learn every time you go out, learn on your own or from somebody else. That's a great resource. If you got somebody else that'll show you. Well, you could skip yeah, it across right. the ice for a hole if you Ooh. want. <laughs> <laughs> ice is God's way of saying it's time to quit fishing. No, 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 no. <laughs> I think I need to go experimental experiment ice fishing. Yeah, I you do. Done that before. <laughs> You can still bring your kayak out. My big rig's got a big hole in the middle. You just dig a hole, you're good. Yeah. Still. Lift up that prop door and just yeah. drop it down. <laughs> but uh, no, so like kayak fishing, do you think we're at a time to where, I know this is another thing that come up from the podcast the other night, and I, I kind of want to keep playing into it just a little bit. Do you think that the sport, while we have, you know, guys like Dominic that have fully rigged out kayaks and we have guys like Joey um, that are, you know, still fishing out of the seven-year-old boat that's, you know, minimalist, minimalist rigging, do you think that there is a movement back to the river guys that kind of started the movement altogether where the boats are going to get smaller, a little bit more minimalistic? Uh, pick it up over your shoulder and carry it. Do you see that as something that's coming? For me personally, I love fishing a river and we moved in December and we live right on Woods Reservoir and it's got gigantic fish in it. It's not a numbers lake, but it's got some really big fish in it. Uh, I caught one and not knowing the lake, I, I hunt around and I'll tr kind of triangulate stumps and things that I can figure out subsurface stumps and caught a nine. Uh, we've only been fishing this lake since the middle of March, and we're still learning the lake. And uh, again, it's whether it's the river, you know, if you learn to read current. Matter of fact, uh, I, I just finished a, a blog, and I've got another one coming up. I just finished a blog called Don't Get Caught in the Speed Trap. You know, guys will say, I kind of laugh because I've done it all. When we had the TV show, I had the big 21-foot uh, Triton. You know, and pe you know, people say, well, how fast will that boat go? And I said, I don't know, 65, 68. And I said, the hard part is I haven't figured out how to catch a fish going 65 miles an hour. So I stop and I'm going to fish all that water. People are running over. I'm going to eyeball some stuff and say, that looks like the spot. Yeah, that's true. I mean, a lot of people yeah. run over fish and just don't know that they're under their boat. It's very true. You know, um, oh. The riverside, are things going to get smaller? I don't 
So I live in a different world for you guys. Like, I think that's yeah. good that we have different people from different regions on this podcast. But in my Western region, I don't think smaller is better. I think bigger is better because the lakes that we have are like Highland reservoirs, open water. We're hitting like 30, 40 feet main lake areas. We don't have a lot of creeks and et cetera. Um, but that's not to say there's a bit, I mean, the biggest impact for, I'd say bass fishing would probably be in the East and that'll probably determine what the market needs really. But yeah, may, maybe smaller on this. It's always been smaller side on the East coast. And then I feel, I feel like on the, on the West coast, everybody wants to upgrade to like a 13 or 14 footer. That's what I feel. Yeah, I, uh, I I just literally started fishing rivers this year. Um, mm -hmm. We we have a lot more lakes. Um, we do have rivers, but a lot of them are close to the you know feed into the ocean. Um, I I'm not a big saltwater ocean guy, so um, this year was really the first time. Like I think the last time I was on this, I was going to the St. Lawrence River, so that was a whole different experience for me. Um, so I the whole time I'm thinking. All right. Well, I, I love my big rig. I have no no reason to get rid of it. Although I did find a small crack the other day, but I am going to repair that. Um, so, but next year I might actually go into a Kusa X as well. Something that I can, like uh, Joe always talk about, going minimalistic. You know, just a couple of poles, just something I can drag out somewhere and go. And rivers are going to be something I'm really going to tackle next year. I kind of chuckle when people say. So what do you do to customize your boat when you get it home? I said, I cut the plastic off and I go fishing. I, I mean, you can't get any more minimal than that. And I, I know what people, if everybody, again, has something different. Some people want to catch smallmouth. We got an abundance of them down here. People want to catch, you know, crappie. People want, you know, so for me, it's like, I, I really like a big fish. And probably, I want to say it was probably eight or nine years ago. And I've got a picture of this, so it's, you know, they say if, if there's no picture, it didn't happen. I got a picture of an 11-3 that I caught out of a river. And a river, you can read the current. You can read, you know, what redirects water. You can tell what, you know, what there's there for forage and, and kind of match that. And again, I see less traffic on a river than I do anywhere else. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I, our river here is is very... It's very quiet, all except for the Wednesday nighter that goes on. Uh, for the most part, you can get out there and pretty much be by yourself all day. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I think there's a time and a place. I think for these boats, you know, there's there's always, there's a butt for every seat is kind of how um, we've always said it. Some of, uh, some of our buddies, you know, because there is i mean when you think about it, everybody wants something that's a little bit different and, and like joey's talking and you know when you look at the kusa x a boat like that it really doesn't need a whole lot of rigging it pretty much comes with pretty much i mean everything you need with the exception of your tackle crate i mean you can drop that baby in the water and pretty much go um you don't need any tie downs for your crate it's all right there underneath the track on the back i mean you don't need any paddle holders that are in the bag that comes with the boat you don't need any like rod holders that are in the bag that comes with the boat it's just like joey said the kusa x is really a cut the plastic off the boat and go kayak you know you brought up I a good point uh 
when when people talk about how many baits they carry realistically and i'm this is a rhetorical question i already know what i'm gonna throw you all do too i'm not asking you what it is but you know you're not gonna throw you know i'm not gonna throw a jig and spoon i i you know i bring them to seminars and i throw them in the crowd and say you can have this because i'm never going to use it you know <laughs> i like a buzz bait i like a jig uh i've been catching some fish on a on a, a bladed jig uh who doesn't like top water you know and when you get to fall and if people spent as much time i think personally if people spent as much time learning the fish and its habits they'd be much better off than saying oh well i've got you know the big the big thing down here now is the uh forward facing and i'm, I'm sure you probably have covered all of this in some previous uh, podcasts but you know I, I don't need that. I don't want that. I'm going to derive a lot of satisfaction to pulling up. You know, if I see a big branch sticking out of the water, guess what? There's a tree under there. See, I figured that out all by myself. You know, I don't. I, and if, if it's spring and the water is about 65 degrees, guess what? There's probably a bunch of crappie in there. Might be a good bass. You know, so that cognitive ability, you feel to me, you feel much more uh, satisfied fooling those fish when you're doing that. I, that's my my thought on it anyway. You know, like to your point, I, I see people getting caught up in the whole, let's get a 10 inch graph. I mean, I got a 10 inch graph myself and I got the full electronics, but at a certain point, it just gets ridiculous. Let's get 10, a 12 inch graph. Let's get a 16 inch graph. Let's get a 24 volt, 65 amp hour, and then have a hundred amp hour for my back motor and, in, in, or for my front motor and then a 24 volt for my back motor and a 12 inch monitor or front run dual graphs but at a certain point like that's not going to help at all what what really matters is that you maximize your time on the water as much as you can so if akusa x is the way to go and it in terms of like a, if you don't have a launch ramp right maybe the kusa x is the kayak to go because it's more minimalist you literally throw three rods inside your your kayak a paddle and you get going and you travel as light as possible but if you have a lawn trap that you could back down and etc maybe a take two or a big rig is the way to go but yeah i absolutely agree minimalist is the best way to learn um time on the water is 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 the is the best thing that you can do ignore Stop comparing yourself with the next guy over. You'll never find happiness comparing yourself to your, your 10 inch to a 12 inch graph or a LV32 to LV34 transducer. Mm -hmm. You know, those things constantly wrap in your mind and actually take away your happiness when the true happiness is, is just experience on the water, the new sense, the new sunsets and, and sunrises that you get to experience on the water and just having fun with your friends or learning a new technique on the water. You know, one of the fun things that we kind of touched on real briefly there to start was the boats sitting on top of the fish or cruising by the fish. Do you think that being in a kayak and being slower and having to maximize time, maximize efficiency lets you find those little hidden things that boaters might miss because they're running a hundred miles an hour and, you know, sitting on top of the fish instead of, you know, they can, they can move. If they throw at this tree and there's no fish, they're gone. You know, mm -hmm. whereas if we throw at that tree, we may be stuck there for a little bit. So we may have to figure out the air. Do you feel like that that, makes a difference being that 
your kayak is slower than a boat. Yeah, hundred percent. I I don't know how many. I mean, I know um, when I'm. I don't know how many tournaments I've been in where yeah, you go a lot slower. You get to a spot. How many times another boat or two or three pull up next to you just because you just hauled in one, you know, good size good sized fish that day blew by 20 minutes prior. Um, that, that happens all the time. You know, it, it, we're able to get areas that they can't, you know, and, and they're always, I don't know how many, how many tournaments I've been in um, that there isn't a boat come up next to me that they missed something. And have you, have you, I know, I know you all are going to answer this the same way. You ever looked at a spot and say, I guarantee you there's a fish there, pull up, drop a bait in there and catch a fish. And then you get that smile on your face that lasts the whole rest of the day because it wasn't electronics. It wasn't somebody saying, hey, I'm going to give you that log. It's kind of you figured it out. You see that, you know, you kind of noodle that around and say, I'm, I'm going to throw I'm going to pitch that jig alongside the shady side of that log and set the hook on a four or five pounder. I don't think it gets any better than that. Why are you muted? In my experience, if you go to like Cattle Lake and et cetera, there's not a lot of water in those cypress trees, and you just you just kind of like pick off every single cypress tree across a point. You kind of really figure out by covering water slowly, like with the like for instance the spinnerbait or chatterbait, you figure out what the bite is, and you can quickly kind of figure out and test the water: is it is it a pitching or flipping bite, or is it a moving bite? And etc. That was my experience of cattle. I think running could actually hinder the strategy of, of bass fishing. I remember I ran across the narrows over at Clear Lake from Brados all the way to Nice and Lucerne to hit a grass patch. And that alone in the wind in like three or four foot rollers at a hundred percent, that probably burned. 50% of my battery or 45% of my battery at a hundred percent. And by the time I got to that spot, it was the wrong window of feeding opportunity. So now I honestly think the less you travel from the launch ramp and the more that you slow down and analyze, like for instance, a 50 hundred yard stretch or, or a bay that you could separate into a small little pond, like a 200 acre pond. You can kind of break down that area a lot more efficiently versus, okay, let's take off three hours and go 100% to that area to find nothing and shrink your time of fishing. Now you how turn. Many fish did, how many fish did you run over when you went? Yeah, exactly. You exactly. Know, if, if, you're, if you're better at running a motor than you are at fishing, you should probably be running motors. And yeah. for me, it's like when I'm teaching people, I'll go back and say, the first, the first fish is what I call a, a, a surprise. The second fish I call a clue, and the third fish is a pattern. When you find that yeah. pattern, replicating that pattern to go someplace else and say they're in four to eight feet of water in treetops, and you tick the you tick the branch with a jig and you get a bite. You know, I used to have, when I was doing TV, I tell the cameraman, "Roll on me," and he, that meant I know I'm going to catch a fish right here. I'm not saying it happened every time. But it happened to the tune of one was an eight and a half pound largemouth I caught on a crankbait out of a big treetop. And I, I do think this, and I, this this sounds like a brag, but because I'm sponsored, I'll throw a crankbait where other people won't. 
<laughs> you know, when people say, well, I don't want to throw that in there. I say, well, put it in your tackle box. You don't have to worry about losing it. So I've got 10 more of them at home. I'll throw them in some really gnarly looking places. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about the feeding window just a little bit, Dominic. I think that was a good, good segue to this. Um, Moonface, different things like that, feeding windows. Um, you know, you get out your fish brain app, you pull out the farmer's almanac, you pull out whatever you want. You start talking about moon phases. Um, I want to be honest. I'm going to kind of start this. That is something I a thousand percent block out. And here's why, because I'm going fishing anyway. I don't care. I'm not going to sit at home on the couch because the moon is in the wrong position. But how much do you guys look at that? How much does it play into what you're planning to do? Do you try to maximize be at proper spot at the proper feed time? Is that something that plays into your thought process? Well, for me, I, I did a study one year because I've, I, I've done I got to fish a lot. And, you know, I, I'm not doing, again, anything somebody else didn't fish. I fished 120 days last year, and I did that when I was working. And I've been retired for 11 years. But one year I did a study, and I would keep a very detailed journal, and I caught 26 fish over five pounds. And 25 of those came on three days before or after a new or full moon. And the one that fell out of that was out by one day. I think it matters. I'm like you, Chad. I'm not going to go based off of the moon, but I'm sure going to check and say maybe I'll stay out a little longer or maybe – uh we had our shad spawn in june and july and there was millions millions of shad and so you know that's based off of the moon phase but what i always tell people is you have to understand you're competing with 10 million shad you better throw something that's bigger or looks like a, you know that looks like a bigger shad than that other one because you're competing with those little two and a half or three inch shad you can't win that there's no way yeah i mean i i don't care i'm i'm going fishing whenever i'm going fishing um, like, like Joey said, there's three days before the full moon or a new moon. Uh, I believe, I believe it to a certain extent. Um, but for me, I feel like, I feel like I want to be right about every single big fish I catch. So, so in, in, in reason it, so I use the moon if it's if it's setting or if it's completely um completely Apex. out during yeah. the day right then i try to reason why i caught that big fish all the time i think as a bass angler we always want to think about what are the all the factors that come into play when i caught that big fish and why did i catch it on that specific time and day you know and etc and i think I think at the end of the day, you know, if we caught a big fish, we caught a big fish. There are certain things that we can be right about, but there are certain things that we can't be right about. And I think that's the biggest thing about bass fishing is um, kind of builds our ego. You know, like we're all know-it-alls. Let's 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 go out at a full moon. Let's go out three days past a full moon or a new moon or before three days. But all when it comes down to it, you know, are you are you going out on the water and you are spending every single minute on the water to maximize your time to learn it, learn a new technique? I think that's what it comes down to. Like, sure. You could chase the big fish bite, but as long as your lures in the water, whether if it's three days past a full moon or a new moon or before, like you're giving yourself a chance to catch a PB. And I think that's what it's all about. Um, for me, I think fishing during the springtime from 
from winter all the way up till May, I think is your biggest chance at catching the biggest fish of your life. And I tell you what, I'll take the whole entire summer off of fishing. If you told me that I could fish from January to May throughout the whole, throughout like every single day and putting in the minutes, putting in the hours. Yeah. I, <clears throat> I I'm still, I call myself quasi beginning. I mean, I I've, I've been fishing most of my life at the kayak just a few years. So the weather thing, I really don't put too much stock into it. I probably should, but I got, I'm, I'm learning a lot of techniques, a lot more other things right now that uh, when I hear people talk, I listen, you know, and I pay attention, but I really, I'm going fishing no matter what, like mm. you said, I, uh, and then maybe if I don't catch one, I'll blame it on, all right, the moon yeah. that last <laughs> exactly. night. So I didn't catch one You blame it on the weather. So, yeah, I'll blame it on the weather. You give Chris an excuse. Yeah. Um, well, you so know, one talk- of the things that I, and when I was on radio this morning, I talked about, and I believe this, it depends on where you live, but here I mm-hmm. say everything eats in October. And I don't care if it's a largemouth bass. I don't care if it's a white-tailed deer. Everything eats in October. The days are yeah. shorter. They realize that they're getting ready to, the, the weather's getting cooler. And I don't, I'm like you guys, I don't go based off of the weather because I've gone into some stuff that's just terrible. But I always counsel people that if you're trying to catch a big fish, there's two R's random action and retrieve speed so you see how many people catch fish on soft plastics or jigs and retrieve speed is if that fish is in a neutral or negative feeding mode i don't care if it's a crappie a musky a bass whatever it is if it's in a negative or neutral feeding mode and you buzz something past it they're not going to chase it they're just not going to do it so slower and sometimes a smaller bait but for me again i'll break the rules because i i talk about conventional fishing catches conventional fish that I'll throw a big wake bait. I'm getting ready to do that on some new water back here. And I don't, you know, it looks, somebody will probably look at me and say, what in the world is that? Well, that's what's getting ready to fool a seven, eight, nine, ten 10 pound fish. Now let's, uh, let's, let's jump into this. Cause this was actually my next question, but Joey kind of started leading us there. I want to go to Dominic first. Talk, Cause the culture in California is completely different. Let's talk about big fish baits. What do you, what is your go-to big fish bait you know i mean i don't know i think i think a rig for me it's always going to be an a rig or or a chad chad you know something for me it's all in the fun of it kind of like when you see a big mark and you're casting a let's say i don't know a rig or something like that I, i don't get to be honest with you and this is just sidetracked I don't get off of drop shotting anymore. I know they catch big fish. Like literally in a day, I caught a 23.75 on a Chad Chad. I believe it was April or May at a local pond. And I saw it eat it. And that window just died. That bite just died. And then later on in the day, I drop shot this sparse, sparse weeds like 10 feet of water with a drop shot and then I caught a 22 and a half. So I don't think it really matters the size of bait. I think when it comes down to it, I think, well, if you're, if you're chasing big fish, I think it comes down to like, what do you have the most fun with? That's, I think that's the true answer. And, and to me, the most fun I have is when I see two, three fish or even one fish, 
right when it comes over their head, they just react to it. Whether if it's a Chad Chad or an A-Rig or a Chatterbait, when you see a wolf pack just coming after your bait, it's it's the most insane thing. And And when one doesn't grab it, the other one grabs it. It's like a whole competition thing. But drop shot, I feel like I could tell you what. 99 out of 100 days, I probably could tell you if I, if I fish a drop shot all day, I'm going to catch at least one keeper and I won't skunk for the whole entire day. I, I could, I could tell you that, you know, and that's why I don't, I don't get any satisfaction out of catching a drop shot fish anymore. Uh, how about you, Chris? What, uh, what, what's your uh, go-to for big fish bait? So I'm, I'm still trying to find that elusive 20 inch fish. I've caught everything close to it. Where are you um, from? What, uh, Maine. I just, I, Maine? I swear, okay. I can't, yeah, you know, I, and it's funny, when I was on, uh, back in August, uh, I was li- literally going to uh, St. Lawrence River, and I ended up catching a monster small. It was my biggest smallmouth. Nice. It was 19 and a half inches, but it was four and a half pounds. Um, but I caught that on a worm in 55 feet of water. Yeah. Um, and as it was coming up, it just slammed it. Uh, but you know, I, 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 I love the jig bite really got into that this year. I've caught some really decent size, um, but chatterbait's really, it's probably my go-to. Um, I do fish it a lot and I, I fish it pretty unconventional to a lot of people. Um, I I'm really slow with it most of the time when I, I usually fish it like a jig, but then just give it enough. But I I, really, are you stroking it or what? What's the juice? Are you stroking it? Like, are you casting it in the grass and then you're letting it sit on the bottom and you just stroke it kind of like a flutter? I I will. And if it gets, you know, if it gets hung up, whatever, I just really slow pull it through until I hear it, feel it vibrate again. I have a cadence in my head when I'm, when I'm bringing it back, I never buzz it back fast, but, uh, you know, you guys talk about those big ones. I really just want to get a 20 inch fish. You know? If you if you have the time, if you have the time, go at least on one event, one national event to, uh, you know, one, for example, like Cattle Lake is to me is you'll catch a 20 for sure. Mm-hmm. Or Florida. I hear I hear crazy things in Florida as well. I would to do at least one bucket. Yeah. Bucket list trip out. I really one thought of those the states. ones. I thought that smallmouth was when I pulled it in. I really did just because it was the weight of it. But it was, yeah. I got a big tournament next weekend in Lake George in New York. So I'm, I'm, I know there's big ones there. So are there 20s hopefully. over there? Or just oh, yeah. Like mostly 19s. Yeah. They just don't, they just don't bite my bait. If you want to have, <laughs> have fun, go back and look at one of my blog posts. It was just before this one and it's called Why the Jig. And if you don't yeah. want to fish a jig after that, buddy, I'm telling you, I've got, I've got six over 10 and one over 11 and every one of those came on a jig. And the other thing I used to do was I would tag my fish, which the, the Tennessee wildlife resources agency frowns on now, but I caught the same fish five times and it was either on a jig or a plastic worm. So it goes back to random action and retrieve speed. So there's, and it wasn't a 10, it was a, just a really nice, it went from four to about seven and a half over the course of the years. But if you can get that fish to hit something else, they don't learn, but they can become conditioned. And that jig looks like a crawfish. And for every five pounds of crawfish a bass eats, it gains a pound. So it's the Red Bull for bass. And they will absolutely, absolutely eat it. Really? Yeah, every saw- five crawfish <laughs> is, is a pound? Five pounds of crawfish is, equates to a pound that that fish gains. 
I just saw that message from Jesse. Yes, Gene, I want to come down to Florida and catch some monsters with her. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, go out, go out with <laughs> go out with her. I'm sure you're gonna catch a 20 yeah. plus. It's not, it's not, it's not what you're doing. It's simply where you're at. You know, mm. I think in California, it's highly impossible to catch a double digit in California. I think the best place is gonna be your Texas or Florida area. Um, if you go to my local pond that's been known, I mean, Butch Brown fishes it year round. I don't know if you guys all heard of him. Probably he fishes the Huddleston and the depths 250. He's only caught in two doubles or I think two doubles last year from the same pond. And that's not very much. That's not very much at all. So I don't think it's you. I think it's just, just the area you're in. You know, it's kind of like the, uh, and I know I, I see some of what Chad where where you're going. And for me, right behind my, I mean, we live on the lake. So, you know, I've gotten hooked up on the, that pad bite's gotten me. Actually, that's gonna be my next blog post is come over to my pad. And when they explode through that and hit that frog, I mean it'll make you nuts because you're gonna miss a bunch of them, but there's nothing quite like the visual of them coming through there. And then if yeah. you pitch a, a rage tail craw, Texas rig inside there, and all of a sudden you feel that pull down. I'm telling you, it doesn't get much better than that. So the other day I was out, and what I did was, because I'm an old electronics guy, I got in the middle of the lake, and I start moving shallower each time, throwing the frog, throwing a couple spinnerbaits, uh, minnow plugs, those kind of things. And I, mine's a kind of a search and destroy thing. I'm going to look around until I find it. Once I find it, again, if I get it locked down to where I'm catching two or three of them, I'm, I'm not giving that up. I'm staying there unless there's a major wind change or cloud cover or something similar to that. But, uh, you know, it's being persistent. I mean, it really is being persistent. I, I always tell people you can't catch them from the couch. So you got to yeah. go. Yeah. What uh, state um, are you I'm from, Joey? Tennessee. Tennessee. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now, now talking about the jigging, this is an important question for those that are listening that are new to the sport, maybe don't have electronics or any of that kind of stuff. And so we'll start with you, Joey. When you're out there and you're fishing a jig, let's talk about, what you look for based on feel of bottom structure contour what are, what are you looking at that you're throwing this jig at that is, um did you a, know it's a good area or you know you need to move on that's a wonderful question what i look for is sing I, I look for secondary structure and singular like a tree and i'll drop it inside a tree i'm using 40 pound braid which i never used to do but i'm using 40 pound braid i'm taking I throw everything three eighths ounce and people say, well, why do you do that? Well, when I was doing casting demonstrations, three eighths ounce spinnerbait, three eighths ounce crankbait, three eighths ounce jig, three eighths ounce Texas rig, it all feels the same. So accuracy, those fish are not going to chase. It's a rarity for a fish to chase something far away. I'm not saying they won't ever do it because there isn't any never or always, but I am saying that you have to be willing to put it in there and then you got to be feeling for that, that hit. And sometimes that hit feels like nothing. It feels like somebody cut the bait off. And the next one, it feels like they're, especially for the smallmouth, it feels like they're going to jerk the rod out of your hand. So you got to be ready all the time. Completely agree. I mean, I don't think, I don't think fish. I think one of the things I learned through my electronics is fish do not come across. Like you cannot pull a fish from, 10 yards or 15 feet away you can't you just can't like you have to put it in on top of their head 
or next to them for them to react to the bait. And and I've I've seen this so many times that I just know I'm like you can't attract a fish like 15, 20 feet away. They're not gonna target it like that. Uh, yeah, unless it's, it's, it's top unless it's maybe top water. Exactly. Yeah. That's a great point because they'll come up more uh, vertically than they will horizontally. And when people say, well, that fish moved 30 feet to hit that bait, that's yeah. never going to happen. And I'll tell you yeah. why. If, yeah. you're, if you know return on investment, ROI, they lose weight instead of gaining weight when they chase something 30 or 40 feet. So they're yeah. not going to do that. It, I mean, it would be a rarity to have that happen. And again, I think a smallmouth would go up more than it would go across. So that, yeah. that's a really good point. Yeah, I think I think you have better odds of putting it on top of their head and and and, and try to get get a reaction off of that versus, um, you know, dragging it. Once once you once they get about 10, 10 feet away from the bait and they're not actively chasing it, you can forget about that fish. It's time to move on. Um, you what you can do is present it to to them vertically where you can actually cast a heavier weight on them like a half ounce ounce uh drop shot so let's say if you're fishing a three eighth ounce drop shot and you notice they're not biting and they're not following the bait what you can do is tie on a heavier drop shot weight just drop it on top of their head reel it back up see if they follow the bait up and then if they don't and if they do follow the bait up click your bail let that bait drop again and then just hold on because they're going to eat it once they've once they follow a plastic bait, whether if it's a jig or a drop shot, once they follow it down, like if, if they're in less 99. than eight feet of water, we've been yeah. catching them by rigging a, 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 like a Cinco type bait. The Strike King's mm -hmm. a sponsor, so I'm throwing their zero. Uh, yeah. But if you're rigging that on a circle hook, and if you've never used a circle hook, I'm going to tell you, it is fun. You throw that yeah. out there and it's kind of dropping. And I had it on my one of my reels where that thing is dropping down. And when they see that, they can't stand it. You'll feel that tick. And then with yep. that circle hook, you just start reeling. It's like the catfish yep. were the ones that use that, but you circle hook. <laughs> yeah. the, less you do, the less you do is the best thing. Like like Joey said, you just wait for the tick. You hold on, mm. wait for the tick. Because if you are effectively targeting areas you know bass are because they like heavy cover or they like sparse grass, if you know that they're there. And it's confidence still. If you know they're there and that's the bite, you cast it out there or you pitch it out there and you just let it sit on semi-slack line and you don't even move it at all because those fish are smart. Once you put any, impart any action on that bait, they'll be turned off and they'll bounce. Or if you accidentally impart action, they'll follow it by curiosity, but they're not following it to eat it. The majority of the time they're following it because you impart action and then the minute that you just dead stick it right next to them make it into an easy natural meal they just bite and then you just mm -hmm. hold on and you keep on reeling and, and honestly the the most stupid perfect example of that is a backlash in your line oh and yeah everybody has seen it. <laughs> you cast out there and you you've got a wadded up mess and you've got to sit there and you're digging it out you're digging it out and then all of a sudden you start really you're like holy cow my line's yeah. moving and mm. it's like Bloop. and and a lot yeah. of times that'll be a big fish most of the time that'll um, yeah. come off a dead stick um but yeah that that's a really great point to that and that 
just shows how factual it is that that little mistake sometimes can be that clue that you actually need when you screwed up. Yeah, exactly. Or the real slow screwed down. Up. The real, the real screwed up. So talking about that, like, and and I think really, I'm going to back up to the question just a little bit. When you're feeling the bottom, I know, I know you said you were throwing in trees and, and different things like that, Joey, but what do you look for on feel? Like when you feel clay on the bottom or when you feel rock on the bottom, is there, is there a time when you're, when you're dragging that jig across the, the bottom surface that you know that, Hey, this is not, this is not what I thought it was. I need to go. And is there a time when you go by the feel, the way the jig feels on the bottom that it's like, okay, I need to stay here just a little bit when you're trying out a new area. In, in the spring, I will go to the northwest part of the lake because it's where it gets the most exposure to the sun. And two or three degrees will make a tremendous amount of difference. And to your point, and again, I know you guys have all done the same thing. You drop that in somewhere and there's a rock or a stick or something like that, and it bounces off of there, and that fish just eats it. You know, because now it's looking like it's tr- they, they they think it's trying to get away or they think it's hurt. That's when they're going to eat it. Dominic, I mean, what do you feel when you're drop shot? Like, you, you'll know where you're at based on your electronics, but mm-hmm. how do you know when you're drop shot? If you drop shot down and you know that the bottom just just feels right for where you really want to be. Um, I don't know, man. I'm a <laughs> I'm a forward facing sonar guy. You know what I mean? It doesn't. It just doesn't have to feel right. I just I've used it so long that um i don't go based on feel unless you know like i think the drop shot if i'm trying to feel bottom and i'm trying to feel structured the drop shot is the least likely bait that i'll pick up if i'm targeting highland reservoir uh with lots of man-made rock piles i'm using my side scan and i'm using a football jig uh specifically the the finesse football kitech jig or the Tasmois football um, finesse jig. And I'll use a half ounce and I'll purposely try to fish that thing slow and try to get it snagged. Like I want, I'm, I'm trying to feel hard bottom rock piles and I won't stop my, I won't stop scanning until I, I find um, rock piles pretty much. I will not, I refuse to cast a jig into mud. Um, but that's, pretty much my technique when i'm using a football jig for drop shot it's more for me it's more of um sparse grass pilings um and and that's your high percentage spots i would say maybe grass mats but then you're starting to beef up all your line your line diameter you're beefing up to like maybe 15 pound test 12 pound test and you're fishing maybe a half ounce weight just to get down there real fast and and try to take them out of that cover but yeah. um but i'm not fishing a drop shot on on rock piles that's my that's not my first option i'm gonna throw uh i'm gonna throw braided line because i don't want to lose any fish and i start off with uh i, I start off with a um oh palomar knot and i back that up with a clinch knot because a lot that line will slip sometimes and one of the things i'll do is i'll take a finesse jig a small jig and even a hair jig and then i'll put a full-size craw on it and you want to talk about something that just drops 
and when it's dropping, yeah. it's giving the, you know, that's when it gets hit a lot of times, especially if you can drop it right at the edge of a tree. And rather, most people throw into a tree. Mm-hmm. Think about throwing parallel to that tree. When that, when that tree comes out under the water, you can flip in there. I never flip. I flip maybe 2% of the time. I'm pitching almost everything. But yeah. if you can throw that across that tree and kind of work it across across those branches and it's got that slow fall, if there's a fish in there, you're going to know it. They're going to hit it. Yeah. And, and to your point, like you said, you put a big creature bait in the back of it. It slows the fall down tremendously on a football right. jig. Like it just doesn't sink um, as fast as you think or as fast as anybody think. The, the best thing you can do is go to the swimming pool. T- toss a three eighths ounce football jig and throw a half ounce football jig and put a creature bait in the back of it. You'll slowly realize how long it takes for that bait to actually drop down because of all the, the sheer um, volume of the bait. Now I've got a couple audience questions that I'm going to throw at you. So if you guys have got questions, we're nearing the, uh, towards the the last leg of the show here so i want these audience questions if you guys got them ask them to these guys put them on the spot rudy yarworth's gonna kick it off do you tie right do you tie right to the braid i tie right to the braid and if it's green or yellow braid i I care about how um heavy that braid is and on spinning equipment, I'll use a fluorocarbon leader, but on the braid, tie right to the braid and get your brown magic marker. Lay your line on a piece of newspaper about four feet long. Mark two inches, leave two inches, mark two inches, and it becomes camouflage very, very easily. The fish never sees a straight line. It sees a, a little bit of brown, a little green, a little brown, a little green. So they never pick up on that. Never. Yeah. Yeah. That was the second part of the question. He said, do you color your braid black at the lure if you do? Um, how about the rest of you guys? Do you guys color the braid, tied to braid direct? I personally, when I'm, unless I'm using top water, I usually generally have a fluorocarbon leader. I have, I have a fluorocarbon leader as well, unless it's uh, top water. I haven't really tested it, honestly. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll go, I usually do, when I'm drop shotting, I do fluorocarbon most of the time. Um, but I mean, I, I think you'll bite it, honestly. I think you drop it right next to them, they're going to eat it. Uh, Unless you're if you're throwing a topwater bait on fluorocarbon and it's a small bait, fluorocarbon will sink where monofilament won't. It'll, it'll, it'll ride on the surface. So I'm not saying don't do it. You know, it may be one of those tricks that get you down another couple inches. And sometimes that makes a difference. You know, when I'm throwing an AC Mm -hmm. shine or a minnow plug, Mm -hmm. I'm going to throw fluorocarbon. I want that thing to sink a little bit or jerk bait. I want that to sink. Uh, you know, I have no interest in that jerk bait riding high. I want it to get down five, six, seven feet if I can and hold it right there. Yeah, if it's a top water, definitely I throw like minimum 40 pound test um, braid. If it's a, a little small walking popper, I'll throw 25 pound braid. <coughs> if it's a frog, I'll throw like 50 to 65 pound braid because we have the Delta, we have Clear Lake. Of course, you want to beef it up. Who cares about the the long distance cast? Um, but I've never, I never tried drop shotting straight braid and there might, that might be something that I'm willing to do. I, to give it a shot, I'm not going to do that in 20 foot visibility in a reservoir, but maybe if it's like clear Lake or the Delta, 
maybe drop shot five pound 10 straight braid actually my buddy does it my name my buddy pua yang he straight braid drop shotting mm -hmm. with a half ounce weight straight shank hook robo worm and uh i think he's throwing like 30 pound or 40 pound braid or something like that yeah see i'm I kind of let the kayak do a lot, some of the work at times because my theory, I've actually scaled down my line quite a bit. I don't run any 20 pounds anymore. Um, as far as my fluorocarbon goes, it's all just 10, 15, 10, 12, and 15 is about my max these days. Because, you know, I look at it like the boat moves. So for me, you know, I don't feel like I need as heavy as a line as what I would if I was predominantly fishing out of a big boat because the big boat you know you're not moving with the fish as much so when you set the hook the boat's more stationary whereas if you set the hook in the kayak the first thing the kayak's going to do it's going to go towards the fish if you don't have a motor um naturally so it's got a little bit more it, i need less i guess is what i'm saying so i opt for the clarity over the higher tensile strength just because of the fact that i know that that boat's going to move just a little bit. Now, if I got my power pole, I have to be a little bit more careful if I'm locked in fishing grass or something like that. But um, if I'm free floating, you know, fishing different areas, then I ah, don't worry about it near as much. And that's where I get away with my moving baits are all 12 pound line. My spinning reel baits are 10. And then, you know, my flipping baits are more that 15 pound range. Um, so that's kind of where I stay with that. Uh, the next question best day on the water story and the worst day on the water story i'll let whoever wants to fill that one go well I, I went to mexico to film a video for bass pro shops and we went to a lake that hadn't been fished in seven years oh wow <laughs> we, we caught i caught 99 bass in a little over two hours and i told the guide i said i've got to go in my triceps were actually were actually uh cramping up and worst day on the water probably I would say I turtled the kayak in April. I was by myself, but I was wearing a life jacket, but I was wearing a life jacket. Water was about 50 degrees, you know, and so I wasn't real happy about that. And I, I probably would add one more thing is that my father died in uh, October 23rd and every year it's a day for dad. I go out and fish by myself, have a great time, you know, just kind of, that is truly when I don't care what I catch, but magically somehow I always catch a few fish. So best day, another good day and the worst day. Wow, geez. Worst day on the water probably would be my uh, the last year on the Connecticut River. Um, again, it was pretty much my first river trip. Um, and I don't think I caught a fish bigger than six inches. And I caught no fish that I could actually scoreable for the tournament. Um, I mean, I caught a lot of fish, so I can't say that I didn't catch anything, but it was horrible trying to find and just trying to figure out the current and i was a mess um you know best day i oh, i'd have to say probably this year um probably my saint lawrence trip um there's probably a few days there they were just they were all so much fun um catching big small mouth and then changing it all up in the tournament day i went and caught all largemouth the whole day and one of the best smallmouth fisheries in the nation. But uh ended up catching a, a bunch of bunch of fish that day. It was a lot of fun. I think my worst day is probably 
probably you know i don't i don't know if i have a worst day of fishing <laughs> um let's go to the best day in the water um similar to what joey was saying you know there was a lake that was closed off for six to eight months because of dam construction and so there was zero pressure the fish were hungry the fish weren't conditioned to any lure whatsoever and uh i was in the slay nation monthly tournament decided to take a break from the regular events on a monthly basis i went out to hodges and uh i was just catching 18 19 20 inch fish and i was just complaining about it right and i kept on tossing them tossing and tossing and then i come across this uh, organization called tube mob and they're float tubers and they just welcome me over and they're just like dude come on man catch fish with us and they're catching 22s 23s 21s and we're fishing the same area but there's like a specific cast on that point it was the juice and so they invited me in and then they took off and i stayed there with another fellow kayak angler and i'm making this cast right next to this ledge that breaks off of some rock piles and i cast my little drop shot four and a half inch of worm 24 incher 8.2 pounds next cast Hook into it. 7.2 pounds. 23.75. Next cast. 22. Two casts later. Three casts later. No bite. Oh, cast again. 20 incher. So I, I imagine that was like 112 inches for the day. And then I followed up with the next week at a different spot. And I I kid you not. I caught a 23 and another 23.75. I think I totaled 115.75 inches in two fishing trips. And that's crazy. And, and it was majority just like it was majority just rock piles um, and, and flats. And I, I would have thought a, a jig would be the right bait to throw in a wobble head in a, a 6XD or 8XD. But for some reason they wanted that four and a half inch worm. And so I gave it to them and a hundred and almost all, almost 116 inches in one day. That was like one of the priceless moments in fishing. If that, whether if it was a tournament or not, it probably been like the most joy that I've had ever. Yeah. All right. Next one on the chopping block. What are the top three baits for starting bass fishing? Joey, you go. You have the most experience. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, you, if, you, if you're trying to, if it's a newcomer or a child, I'd say a smaller lure with slower retrieve. So that kind of that kind of spinner with the beetle spin, kind of a a, a, a soft plastic on it, that's going to catch a few fish. I stay away from multi hook baits. I'm giving baits away when I do my thing on Saturday, but I never give children a bait with a hook in it. I give it to the parents. So soft plastics are probably the deal as much as anything else. And I love a tube. I mean, I catch so many. I caught I caught three smallmouth on a tube when I was fishing for bluegill. And the, they were raiding the bluegill nest. And I'd catch smallmouth, 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 pulled up a little further and caught an eight-pound channel cat on a little crappie tube. So smaller baits and slower retrieves. And you want to make sure they're catching something. And there's nothing against fishing live bait. You know, when a kid sees a float dancing around and going down, they get excited. So that's not a that's really not a bad idea to do that. So again, smaller baits, slower retrieves, you want them to catch fish. 
Can never go wrong think, with a Senko. Wacky rig. Right. <laughs> yeah. I think for me, if I was to put to put three in in Jesse's box, because I know I know Jesse's working on his bass fishing uh to preface the question. Uh I won't put three baits in a box today. One of them will be a, a soft plastic worm, probably the old ribbon tail worm, seven inch ribbon tail worm. I think that's a staple in, in fishing. Um, you're going to catch something on it most generally. Texas rig it. You can rig it, you know, shaky head. You you can do a lot with a seven and a half inch worm. You can drop shot it. You There's just, it's an endless possibility bait that you can do a lot with. Um, the second, and which probably should have been number one, would be a spinner bait. Because you can't go wrong with a spinner bait. Um, it's good in the morning. It's good in the evening. It can be good midday. Um, it's real good seasonal bait as well. You know, early spring before the spawn. Um, right now, while fish are feeding up for the winter, it's hard to beat a spinnerbait. Uh, if you got a lot of grass and different things like that, you know, both those baits work well over top of grass beds and, and the different things. So two very diverse baits. Um, and you can fish them very diversely. You don't have to spin fish a spinnerbait just reeling it in you can kind of yo-yo it around and, and do some different things with it twitch it jerk it there's a lot there um and then i'm i'm gonna have to put a three-eighths ounce jig on there because i feel yes. like a three-eighths yes. ounce jig is a diverse <laughs> weight it'll get you deep and it'll get you shallow it's not too heavy and it's not too light um so i would put a three eighths ounce jig and i would probably if i had to choose that color um i would probably go black and blue that's my two cents <laughs> so yeah, yeah for me it would probably be a drop shot four and a half inch worm um and then an underspin if you're talking about Western region, uh, mm. I would just stick with the underspin. Your two main underspins are the flashy swimmer by owner, cool baits, underspin, go with your average quarter ounce or three eighth ounce head, and then pair that up with either a 2.8 Kitek all the way to 4.3 inch Kitek. If you're drop shotting, just pick up three eighth ounce weight and a four and a half inch worm margarita emulator or mm3 in a robo worm you probably i forgot about the robo worm but I'd, I'd still put the fire bait worm over top of the robo worm in my area yeah i think it depends on area too you know it definitely mm -hmm. does um i was gonna say chatterbait but i don't know what do you guys think about the chatterbait putting a chatterbait in a beginner's hand or if somebody's, or trying, if somebody's trying to learn how to fish, I would yeah. say you can give them a little push button rod and reel and you can uh, put a floating worm on there. And that floating worms on a, about a 10 or 12 inch leader with a yeah. really good swivel. And you can put mm -hmm. up like a three aught hook and let them throw that out there. Cause they can watch it. And then when, when it disappears, it's not magic. You know, you got a fish and they're pretty much have got it at that point. You know, you can just yeah. set the hook on them. So uh, opposite the circle hook, when you're throwing that floating, floating worm and, I throw two colors. I throw white, and then I throw what I call sherbet. It's orange and pink, mm. and and they eat yeah. both of those. And you, you know, actually, it. you know, like instead of like 
putting a bait in their hands, what I recommend is just support your local guide. Uh, there's a few local guides in my area. There's Guppies Fishing Adventures, and that's for kids. You can drop them off, and he runs kind of like a like a fishing, almost like a f- hybrid fishing daycare where he teaches kids how to fish, tie a bait on, and he puts them on fish, whether if it's tilapia, catfish, or bass, or go out to Clear Lake Bass Factory in the Western Region, go hire Paul Bailey, and he'll put you on some fish. And the best thing I would say besides, you know, putting a technique in their hands and giving them that is probably just giving them a, a guide service recommendation because mm-hmm. that guy's you're hiring most of them. Most of them you're hiring them to go out into the water and do all the homework for you. So when they, when you hop on their boat, they tell you exactly what to do and they build your confidence with a certain technique. That's what that's, honestly a be- best recommendation if you're starting out i, I think you have to be you have to be careful because yeah. i and many of the kids that i've taught how to fish they're doing 15 minutes and they're done which i get you have to, <laughs> you have to allow that because then they yeah, want to yeah. drink kool-aid and popcorn and throw things in yeah. the water you want to make it fun i mean if they catch some fish it's probably going to excite them and always make sure that they get uh they get a picture with their first fish and here we have the uh, put and take program our state agency puts rainbow trout in that range between seven uh-huh. and nine inches. And they tell you where they're going to put them. And, and they're, they're uh, actually uh, uh, normal trout that are hand raised almost. When you throw them in there, they're going to hit anything that comes in there. So they're hatchery trout. And yeah. if they catch a couple of fish, they're good. Mm. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the really nice things about Kentucky and Tennessee um, is this, their trout stocking program is pretty phenomenal. Um, if you're down in those areas, you should definitely check the trout stocking uh, situation out. Kentucky and Tennessee, it's it's great. Um, but no, I think, you know, when you're talking about hiring a guide, I think another thing, you know, if you're an adult and you're and you're wanting to start learning the the bass fishing culture, I think is um, get in a club. Um, fish with some. Yeah. Fish with some, make some friends, fish with some new people. I mean, you can learn so much and you don't necessarily have to do it with um, a kayak. You can, you can join a lot of bass boat clubs and fish co-angler. And there is nothing better than being able to spend those first few frustrating trips out Um behind in the back of the boat learning from somebody that hopefully they know what they're doing um it goes a long long way you're going to learn techniques um you can you can learn a lot by watching their hands and the different things that they do just like you can watching tv so i think that would be that'd be another thing i would throw out to any any adult that's new and, and kind of has an interest in in wanting to learn the sport I know I annoy a lot of my friends with a lot of questions almost every day, um, just asking them different things. Um, and, and they've been great. You know, that's, a, that's how you get better, you know, the more times mm-hmm. on the water and just having that that camaraderie that will help you with anything you uh, you ask. I think one of the fun things about the sport of fishing, and I think you guys will agree here, it's fun to dream stuff up. I mean, there's no, there's no wrong way. There's, there's a better way, but you know, there's nothing wrong with sitting around and, and dreaming up and customizing baits and kind of coming up with your own thing. 
I do that with every bait. Almost everything I take out with the crankbaits, I had a red hook to the front. And I used to get people to say, does that really matter? I said, I'll fish with you. And I said, I'll bet you $10 a fish on which hook they're on. And I said, I'm going to get about 80 bucks of your money because they will be on that red hook. Uh, you know, I, I posted a picture yesterday. It wasn't a big fish, a little old fish. It was chasing threw over there and it grabbed the red hook. I use the red circle hook when I'm throwing my little, when I'm throwing my little wacky, uh, I, I guess it's a, I'm not sure who makes it. I, I know striking doesn't make it. Somebody makes it for them. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think the red hook makes a difference in the spinnerbait. You asked me about, it really looks like a shad coming through the water. And if you're on pressured water and they see something different or feel or hear something different, that's going to, that's going to help. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just me and Joey was actually talking about that yesterday with his bait. He's eliminating some of the sound from his uh, spinnerbait by cutting off one of the blade, the Colorado blade off of his uh, spinnerbait and gives it a little bit more of a slender profile. And like you said, and I completely agree with it, that just that top little blade looks more shad-like than if you had the other. Yeah. Now, here, here's a good question. Uh, <laughs> we're going into overtime. Spinnerbaits. We've, I've, on my Facebook page, I've been asking questions and, and doing some different things here lately. Just, you know, engagement just having conversations with folks which is always fun and interesting just to see how different people do different things but let's talk about the blade colors on a spinner bait what uh what are your conditions look like for gold versus silver well i always tell people i let the fish tell me <laughs> you know mm -hmm. if they're you know i'll throw gold i'll throw silver and i've got this habit of throwing a bait 10 times and if i get a bite then i stick with it if i don't get a bite i go to the next thing and when I was guiding in Canada, and I don't, I don't have a reason for this. I don't know why it is. A chartreuse blade with a little spray paint, a red spray paint on it, and a little bit of gold glitter while that's drying. I caught an eight-pound smallmouth up, and it was in Canada, you know. So I mean, it still counts. I got pictures that I'd be glad to show you. But it was they would they would hit that thing so hard, Chad, that they would break the blades off of it. And I have no idea why they did that. And it didn't matter the water color at all. It was kind of tannic acid stained water. But I've used it in other places and caught a lot of fish over five on that chartreuse bladed spinner. Again, if you live in a place that gets a lot of uh, activity, whether it's fishing or boating or kayaking or canoeing, if you get a lot of activity, they need to see something different. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. I'm probably the only guy here doesn't throw spinnerbait. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm so not confident with them. I'll throw them every year. Everybody will tell me, throw a spinnerbait today. And I'll throw it a half a dozen times and yep, it goes right <laughs> back in my back and I take out and use what I know. So well, um, that, that's good though. I mean, you've got confidence in one thing over the other and, and that's good. I've picked, I put down the spinnerbait for quite some time and, and I'll be honest with you. I've picked it back up because more people are throwing chatterbaits. Right. So, you know, everybody's got a chatterbait tied on right now. So if I look at it and I go, oh, okay, well, just like Joey's talking about the tube, not a lot of people throw tubes and not as many people throw tubes as they used to anymore. Nope. So you can pick up a tube and have quite a bit of success because it's something these fish really aren't as tuned into as they once was. So it's kind of like, it the it not fall like a worm. it's got that octagonal fall, you know, where it falls this way, that way, mm -hmm. this way, that way, you know, falls across that way. And I just Texas rig it and I put a red bead and I put a bigger hook. I put a, a five watt hook so that I can go through that tube. So I'm not missing fish. So it's a slip sinker, 3 ounce. It's a red plastic bead, which you can get at Hobby Lobby for like next to nothing. Mm -hmm. 
and then tie that onto that, tie that onto the, and it'll break that a couple of times. It'll break that bead, but you know, for eight cents, I think I can afford to do that. But that thing has, a, mm -hmm. a, 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 again, random action. I mean, if you, if people, I tell people in seminars, just remember, take your mental highlighter out, random action and retrieve speed. If you get that right, you are going to catch fish. Yeah. I mean, what Joey said is maybe get three eighth ounce and a half ounce spinner bait, $5 spinner bait, strike king, whatever there is. If you want to spend a little bit more money, go depths and their willow mm -hmm. blades have like a certain shad imitation on the side of their blades. They go into detail about their blades. It's really nice, but they're expensive spinner baits. But just go learn, put 20 pound fluorocarbon on there. Uh, if you have stained water, go target brush piles and stained water. Tick it off of the brush piles. Tick it off of maybe some grass or pilings. Yeah. Um, go night fishing with a spinner bait. That's my biggest tip. Um, throw the black yeah. blade. Yeah, throw maybe. Yeah, exactly. Throw a black blade. Throw a black skirt. Go night fishing with it. Um, but during the day, if you're getting a lot of water flow and it's staining up your water and usually your water is 10 foot, 15 foot visibility in the winter time, but you're, but you're getting like, now you're getting a foot visibility or less tie on that spinnerbait because that spinnerbait is going to play a role. And I tell you what, one of the examples that I had early on in the season, California didn't get a lot of rain until this year. Over at Tolik, the water was just gushing in. Water clarity was six inches, three inches. And uh, my buddy, Don Rochi, he was throwing a spinnerbait in brush piles. He was hooking into like 19 and 20-inch smallmouth, um, hanging in the brush piles off the bank in five feet of water. And sometimes they suck up. First thing they do when the water flows in and that water level comes up and it's stained, they want to just go into that cover, that brush for for whatever reason, and uh, just chill in there. So a spinner bait, man, hands down. I don't care if it's a five dollar one or if it's a thirty dollar spinner bait. Put that thing in your hand, just toss it and toss it out there all day. But if you want to build confidence, throw it at nighttime and just slow roll that sucker. Nice. Yeah, and everybody's got different views on the rod speed or the reel speeds and different things like that. Yeah, I, I, I used to fish with a buddy, man, and to be honest with you, Chris, I couldn't. I had his exact setup to the reel, to the line, to the rod. He would outfish me with a spinnerbait every time. It wasn't till I built my own setup that was just yeah. for me with a five four reel, twelve pound line. You know, Holy a medium, cow. medium five action four. Rod. Five four, bro. Five four mm -hmm. with twelve pounds. Oh my gosh! Yep. All the all the people down south. Everybody just fell over. They're gonna hate on you. <laughs> no, that's fine. I, I I have I keep two five four reels on me at all times. No five four um, is understandable. The twelve pound mm -hmm. test is the guys over well, the west coast. They would just they would they would yeah. frown upon that for sure. Yeah, they usually go twenty. The uh, the thing. The thing is with your crankbaits and different thing, the lighter diameter line dives a little bit further. So when I want to fish that spinnerbait a little bit deeper, or it, since it's a moving bait and yeah. some clearer water, like different things like that. And again, the kayak's moving. So yeah. therefore, you know, I get away with a little bit more. Yeah, um, and rod tip down the, to rod tip up. Both of those make a difference. You'll find it. Yes, it they makes do. a difference. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're crawling, oh, yeah. rod, tip, rod tip down, or if you're up and it's rod tip up, it's going to kind of hover over the top. 
and you'll yeah, find a pattern. Yeah. I mean, you'll find something that works. Yeah, Although, exactly. hey, this this winter, Dom, I'll, I'll take a spinner bait out this winter. I'll videotape how well it's going to work. This winter? Yeah. <laughs> you know? He's going to skip it across that ice. <laughs> skip it across the ice. <laughs> that is hey, man, good. you know what? A lot of people catch their biggest spinner bait fish by just letting it sink, taking out a backlash, mm -hmm. and then... And then reeling yeah, it back really up. Then. A lot of people. So what you've learned tonight, Chris, like is all you got to do to break twenty is backlash <laughs> and let the lure sit. Yeah. Let yeah, the let the spinner bait flutter down. That's yeah. how you're gonna catch it. And then dig out your backlash. Yeah. Find yeah. those yeah. short arm. Those short arm spinner baits are the best. If you don't, if you can't find them, make them. Just clip off, bend mm -hmm. that over a little bit, and clip mm -hmm. off part of that uh, part of that wire, and then go back and reattach it. And when that's falling down on helicopter, and especially for smallmouth, they will nail that thing. Hello. All right. Now, well, I will tie one on again. I, I'll keep. I'll keep using it. I'll keep trying. Just focus on brush piles. If you can yeah. find some brush mm -hmm. piles in the water and and just flutter it right through that kind of stuff, because that's that's where it shines. Or lay downs. Mm -hmm. Don't be scared gonna, to throw it in the junk. You're gonna get bit if you throw it in that junk. Trust me. Mm -hmm. The best. The mm -hmm. best bites. Spinner bait bites. I get. It's slow rolling through like the thickest, nastiest stuff there is. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep, absolutely. Well, I'm gonna let's uh let's go ahead. It's we've been on an hour and 16 minutes, so we're gonna kind of start rounding this thing out. I'm gonna start with Chris. Chris, why don't you tell everybody at home where to find you on social media and uh thank any sponsorships or anything that you, you want to thank? Yeah, sure. You can uh you can find me on Instagram. That's, that's my uh IG right there. It's uh me yak Bassin, or it's supposed to be M E for Maine. Um I, you know, I want to thank Jackson, of course. Um, I'm new to the team just uh, uh, this year. Um, and then, you know, I'm, I'm still new. Love it. I, uh, I can't wait to fish next week in the championship in uh, St. George. And I'm uh, looking forward to it. So. Dominic. Uh, you can find me double digit angler across all social medias. Main, main social media is going to be youtube and instagram but uh i've been focusing more on instagram lately um but yeah i also have a podcast it's double digit angler on mm -hmm. spotify give it a listen if you're part of the west coast um i think the last one with was with steve owens that's on spotify mm -hmm. it's very interesting because he talks about how he manages the team over at dugout how he manages all the trails and etc you can kind of like get the juice out of it if you're trying to maybe climb the ladders of a fishing brand very good very good joey well i'm talking about wsm am radio people say am radio i said we hit 38 states with 50,000 watts and we're on the world wide web so i get i get the craziest fan mail from <laughs> australia from great britain whatever but uh fishing joey on instagram Joey Montalioni on uh, obviously on Facebook, and uh, as far as as far as sponsors go, take a deep breath. Strike King, Lose, uh, Jackson Kayak, Bending Branches, Canine Line, um, Rage Tail, um, Mid South Tackle, uh, Char uh, Charlie. Uh, well, here I go. Anyway, I, I've got a ton of I got a ton of sponsors, and I love the product. I got to admit, I love the checks. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's when you're living large when you're getting paid to fish. Charlie Brewer makes a slider, 
in Lawrenceburg. And if you're looking for something for kids to catch fish on, that little slider with a small lead head will catch fish almost everywhere. So there, there's more people. There's a bunch of more people. But thanks to WSM uh, and thanks to everybody else, I've been doing this for a little over 40 years. So I think I think I'll try to get another five or ten in and see what we can do with that. Go, man. Well, Joey, sign us off for tonight. Well, I'll be Tennessee and you. Thanks for tuning in. Good night, everybody. Good night. Yeah.